Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Welcome to a very special episode of Sawbones. It's hard for me to not be (laughs) wicked goofy at the beginning. I guess, well, there's no, this is not going to be dour. We're not going to have a dour episode, but we're, it's a little more. More serious. More serious, more personal. Um, Mm -hmm. We, uh, and maybe overdue. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. We. So we're not breaking up like that one YouTube no. couple. No, no, no worries there. <laughs> Why is it when you said maybe overdue? That's the it's next a, thing that came into well, your mind. Well, because they waited a long time to. Oh, oh okay. Sydney. I I don't know what you're referencing, but I'll take your word for it. Riley will ask Riley. So we have used we have we have on Sawbones. We usually talk about medical history, uh, but occasionally we share more personal stories that are medical uh, adjacent our birth stories in particular, Mm -hmm. uh, when they're relevant maybe to current issues or topics that are important or things that maybe by talking about, especially as, um, as people who have kind of a platform, maybe by talking about them, we help destigmatize them or make them a little more approachable. And that's what this episode is about. Um, so yeah, and and obviously, if you if you I we don't want to dwell on this too much because they're I don't necessarily think of these as the same sort of like hat in hand. It's definitely what in, sort of got us thinking about it. But um, there've been several high profile um, suicides in in as as you I'm certainly have have heard mm-hmm. and um and this is not to we are not trying to prescribe like we say that in the disclaimer, but I think that's doubly important here mm-hmm. um and we're certainly not trying to uh indicate you know what other people were feeling at any given time we're not really trying to right do anything. we have we have no, no idea. idea no idea and 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 there's no judgment here it is literally just us talking about our own stories because I, we do feel like regardless of anything else um destigmatization of mental health is important and People wouldn't feel hesitant or awkward about talking about breaking their legs or, you know, what, whatever, uh, IBS. And <laughs> so Sure. Well, well maybe, maybe, yeah, IBS. maybe IBS. But, but definitely one concern is that the stigmatization of mental illness prevents people at times from seeking care. Right. Because of the concern of what every, everybody else would think of them. And the hope is that if we... You know, if we all are a little more open and share our stories, 
that will realize eventually that a lot of us have struggled with with mental illness before and then maybe it won't be you know something you feel you need to hide if you can see that even your podcasting heroes (laughs) have chinks in their mental armor um then then maybe maybe there there's there's a way for you to to get help so obviously let this serve as a as a trigger warning uh for sure for the rest of the episode we're we're both going to be sharing um our personal issues in the past Mm -hmm. uh with mental health and if that is something that is triggering for you or you don't want to listen to right now. Totally understandable, but no. that, that will be the episode. Yeah. So, um, so let's start with you, Sydney, uh, McRoy. And, and I, let me ask you before we actually get into it, um, about your own sort of feelings about talking about mental health, because as a, as a physician, I think there's an extra level of sort of stigma and even some institutionalized that there, that goes with along with it. There definitely is. It's it's a little hard for me. And and let me clarify. I encourage people on a daily basis in my job to talk about their own mental health issues with me constantly and and I encourage people to talk to their networks of support. So it's really easy I mean, for me to say, of course, I want everybody to feel open and talk about it and share this information. And I certainly want people to with me if if I'm their doctor. Um, but to flip that around and say, how do I feel about talking about my own issues in the past? It's really difficult. Um, I feel I feel kind of hypocritical because one, I am supposed to be a sounding board for other people to help them come to terms with what they might be struggling with and find a path to healing. And as such, it is difficult for me to admit that maybe I don't always have it all together. And then there's also the concern within the medical world that um, if you, if you are part of certain kinds of support groups as, as physicians, as medical professionals, some of that stuff can be reported to licensing boards um and that that that's the kind of thing you have to report forever when you because i renew my license every other year and that's a little concerning if you are worried that people on the other end of that might judge you or deem you not suitable to be hired or something so it's a little concerning as a medical professional to to kind of reveal those things and I think it keeps a lot of people in the medical world from seeking professional help when they need it. Actually, there I just we just did a faculty retreat where we talked about physician burnout and an astounding number of physicians in this country are experiencing severe burnout. Their coping mechanisms, if you look at the the ways that doctors choose to cope, the, the majority of them are incredibly unhealthy. Um, not all exercise is on there, but the majority of them are unhealthy. And the likelihood that they will seek help is fairly low and it varies from profession to like specialty to specialty, but it's fairly low. Doctors are suffering and they're suffering silently by and large. When, um, I don't know exactly how you would typify your own, um, uh, struggles with, with mental health, but we're, when, at what point would you say you realized, Hey, something is off, uh, here. I would say, 
I, I mean, I think we can all look at different moments in our life where in retrospect, we go, Ooh, I was really struggling with the, with this or that at the time. But the thing I, I think I feel most compelled to share that has affected me the most, uh, was actually after our daughter, Charlie was born. Um, I had had probably depression when I was younger at times, um, not really formally managed much or diagnosed or um, treated in any way. But after Charlie was born was the first time that I really realized something was wrong. I think a lot of it stemmed from the fact that, and this is a common story you'll hear from people who have given birth and maybe things didn't go as they had hoped they would go. I think that was the the beginning. Um, and we have a whole episode about it, so I won't belabor the point, but Charlie's birth was scary. And I had a C-section that I did not plan on. And I um, had to spend a lot more time away from Charlie in the beginning because of the NICU experience. And it was all very scary and stressful. And when we finally got home, while I felt a great deal of relief, I also felt initially mainly anger, mm. a lot of anger. Uh, I felt like something had been taken from me, um, an opportunity, a chance, an experience that I had expected that I felt like I was entitled to. I made it through the whole pregnancy. <laughs> it was very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very swollen. I was ready for, <laughs> I was ready for what I was ready for the birth experience. You were and, only having a couple beers a night and it's like, ha ha. Uh, I wasn't, let me clear. I was not. And I, I was, I was ready for that and I didn't get it. And then Charlie was taken away from me and kept away from me and I couldn't touch her like I needed to. And all of my, every instinct I had, everyone in my life was telling me, not everyone in my life, all the people who were in charge of my daughter were telling me it was wrong. And I, and I felt so angry. And then I felt guilty for feeling so angry because here I'm sitting there in my home with my husband and my daughter, who, thank goodness, was fine at this point, who was fine and perfect and wonderful and we had wanted so much for so long. And I'm looking at her and instead of just feeling love and elation and gratitude, I was feeling anger. And then under the anger there was this nothingness, this just nothing, no happiness, no joy. It was just this pit of rage. And at the bottom of it was nothing. And it, it, it crept up on me at first. Mm. I knew that I was angry, but it wasn't until several weeks after Charlie was born that it really started to eat at me. I'm not happy and I'm acting happy and I'm talking happy and I'm saying I'm happy and I'm smiling and I'm making baby noises and I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. And underneath it all, I, I've got nothing. Mm. And, and I didn't want to tell anybody. I didn't, I didn't want to tell anybody because I thought people will, people will look at me and say, you monster. What, how could you feel that way? Look at your child. You gave birth to this child. What is wrong with you? Hmm. Um, and, uh, and 
I going back to work when I did only compounded that. Yeah, you started back about what was it? Eight, six, eight. It's shorter than, than yeah, about six, six or seven weeks yeah. because a week of it was gone to the NICU. Right. Yeah. You know, people sometimes people call maternity leave vacation, <laughs> <laughs> and I always think about that first week of my first maternity leave, and mm-hmm. and I want to say is is that's a vacation to you? <laughs> um how did how did it sort of impact your your daily life such as it was um i think i think for a while i was the numbness is what overcame everything i mean that i just i just went through all the motions i just kept doing the things i knew i was supposed to do and anytime i would start to really get like really start to face how um nothing i was feeling i was what it was is anhedonia that's what i was feeling (laughs) well that's that's the term for it and i know that now like i knew that at the time but i wasn't able to put a word on it what does that mean it was the inability to feel pleasure okay i just couldn't i could i couldn't things that i loved that i enjoyed my daughter that was my world i could not feel joy it was impossible. It was just, it was beyond my reach. Um, obviously I didn't, I mean, the other symptoms of depression were there. My energy was low, but I blame that on the fact that I was up every two hours breastfeeding. So of course my energy is low and sure. I was working an almost full-time job. That's incredibly emotionally draining. Sometimes of course I have no energy and my eating and sleeping habits were all over the place, but we had a newborn. So of course, right. And I was tearful a lot, but I'm emotional. I just had a baby. Of course I feel that. I mean, I wrote, I did all the things that I, I can easily see in another person when they're telling it, when they're telling me these things, I can easily see through the ruse and say, you are depressed and you were trying every way in the world to write it off and talk yourself out of it. But this is what's going on. I did it all. And I let myself ignore it. And I think the main thing that started interrupting my life was really the, it it wasn't just anger, it was rage. I mean, that I felt, I felt there were times where I would lay in bed at night and I would be awake staring at the ceiling, just furious, just like clenching my teeth, clenching my fists. I... I mean, just every, as tense as could be, as if I was in the middle of a screaming match or something. You're, I'm not obviously looking for names here, but was that targeted at certain people or was it just sort of a general feeling? Sometimes it would be targeted at people. Um, I would have, I, I used to do this in the shower all the time. As soon as I would get in the shower, I would start imagining what I wanted to say to the people who I felt had made that whole experience so so scary and so not what i thought it should be and i would i would work myself up as i was showering thinking about i I would say this and i would say this and then i would make sure to make this point and by the time i'd get out of the shower i would be instead of you think like as especially as like a new mom like what a relaxing escape i'm gonna go in and take a shower and i would come out of the shower just seething just and it, I mean, that was under the surface all the time. It was hard at work because there's a lot in what I do that becomes stressful mm-hmm. and that you have to have your emotions in check. 
And I had this like, after a few months, I had this simmering anger underneath the surface all the time. Uh, we touched on part of the reason a little bit, but broadly speaking, um, why did you decide not to seek uh, outside help? I think there were several reasons I, I, other than what we've already talked about. One, the major one was just I really felt a lot of shame that I was that I felt that way. I felt incredibly in, I, I felt incredibly guilty. I thought that I was betraying Charlie in some way to admit that I was anything but ecstatic. And and every time I would start to have those feelings, I would just hug her tighter and hold her and kiss her and sing to her and tell her how much I love her and like anything to try to hide the way I was feeling from her. As if she knew, but that, that, that was the biggest thing. And I mean, the other part is the, the thing everybody uses in it as an excuse for not taking care of themselves. I just felt like I didn't have the time to take care of myself. I didn't have the time to put myself on the list of things to do. Um, I was working so much and trying to be a full-time mom when I wasn't a full-time mom. I was trying to do it anyway. And I was so stressed about... Uh, that getting anybody who's breastfed that whole keeping up with demand and making sure that you're pumping enough for when you're not there, but that you're not pumping too close to coming home. So you have milk when you come home. So you never have that moment when your baby's trying to nurse and they, you don't have milk for them because that feels awful. That whole thing is so stressful. And the idea of taking an hour out of my life to go talk to a doctor, talk to a therapist, do any of that, it just seemed insurmountable, which is an excuse. It's an excuse. I mean, I, and I recognize all that now because mm -hmm. I'm fine now. I didn't have this problem after Cooper was born. I, I feel good. I feel the normal stress. I feel the normal worries and anxieties and fears, but nothing beyond that. How did you get to that point? I, I mean, I, I would love to say that there was, something that turned it around. Um, I think it was, I think I did it the hard way. Uh, not that there's an easy way. I don't mean that there's an easy way. I think I did it the way that I would never advise a patient to do it, which is I just hoped that I would get better eventually. I gritted my teeth and I talked about parts of it with you and with my mom, parts of it. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of this that's worth mentioning that I'm I'm hearing for the the first time now. The the stuff that I didn't talk about, the stuff that I was really embarrassed to be feeling. Um, I just I kind of followed that fake it till you make it kind of thought process. If I just keep pretending that I'm okay, eventually I'll be okay. And I mean, luckily I was eventually okay. But I think it, it's worth saying if anyone else is considering like, well, maybe that's the best way to deal with this. It's not. I lost so many days when Charlie was little to that. I mean, I was there, but I wasn't there. Hmm. I, there are chunks of time that I don't even feel like I remember well yeah. because I was so 
I was just, I was on a razor's edge all the time of not functioning. And, and I think I lost a lot of happiness that I could have had mm-hmm. in that period of time. How would you differentiate? Obviously something really terrible happened to you and this is, and, and you've talked about how you sort of emotionally responded to it. Um, how do you differentiate or do you differentiate sort of the way you were feeling? How does it cross a line into mental health and mental illness outside of you are upset? You were upset about something. I mean, I think the biggest thing was that it, it ate into all of my time and all of my feelings constantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was consumed with it. I was obsessed with my anger and my frustration and I like and I, and I had the symptoms of depression. Like I said, I was mm-hmm. I was sad. I cried. I uh you know, I like I I had no energy. I couldn't I lost interest in things that I cared about. I couldn't feel pleasure anymore. I I mean, all the things that make up depression all all of that with the exception of it and I, I should say this too I, I never had thoughts of hurting myself that was not part of it for me mm-hmm. the the darkest parts for me were an acceptance the hopelessness I should say that the hopelessness I will never feel better again I mean that's the problem with with mental health right like your brain is the only one that you have you don't have a second one to process your mental state and so for you it could seem like this is all life is from now on Sid what do you when you look back at that time now um and and I'm not even really asking like what advice you'd give to other people in the same situation because you nobody... I would have given people the advice to not do any of the things I was doing up to that point. Right. Don't... I do. I constantly give that advice. Don't, don't do what I was doing. But what, what do you honestly right here and right now, what do you wish that you had done differently? I wish, I wish I would have started out by talking to you. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have told, cause I feel like, uh, I was not going to go seek help on my own. Uh, but I think if I had told you honestly how I was feeling, you probably would have made me. Um, and I mean that in a good way. Was that a fear? That you would make me? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I didn't want I didn't want to admit it was a problem. I didn't want to say it like it was something to be diagnosed with. I wanted it to be, well, I'm just having a tough time right now and it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of it. And I, I really didn't want to. And I also kind of thought that as long as I wasn't having any thoughts of hurting myself, well, then it, it's not worth bothering with. Hmm. I wouldn't do that. There's no way I would do that. I'm terrified of that. This child needs me so much. So as long as I feel that way, I guess I'm fine. I rationalized it. I mean, it. you can talk yourself into and out of just about anything if you really want to. And that's what I, that's what I did. I talked myself out of believing it was a problem. I talked myself into believing that I had it under control. And none of that was true, but I was able to rationalize it and... I, that's what I would do differently. I wish, I wish I could go back and tell you honestly how I was feeling because then I think you would have forced me to, to go talk to somebody. And I think I would have gotten through things a lot faster and with a lot fewer days lost to sadness if I had talked to somebody about it. Uh, we are going to talk about, uh, hoops and kind of my thing 
not super looking forward to it, but that is what we are here to do. So that is what we shall do. But first, Sydney, I am going to carry you here. Hop on my shoulders. We're heading over to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. What are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got at two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. I'm ready. You were in the hot seat for a good long while. That's right. So, Justin. Yes. I think you have been a little more public about about your your struggles with mental illness and try past. to be try to you, be. you've uh, i think anybody who follows you on twitter has has heard you reference it before yep um but i don't know how in depth you've you've ever talked about things um gosh okay 
So the first time that I knew something was up, I was a little kid, actually. And I was uh, lying in bed trying to go to sleep. And my parents were trying to get me to sleep. And I was probably like 11 or 10. And um, I have a very clear memory of this. I was crying. And my parents kept asking me, like, what's wrong? Like, what was wrong? And I told them that I had a lot of quests in Final Fantasy. Like, so many quests that I had to worry about. And I had to finish. I had a lot of quests <laughs> to finish in Final Fantasy. And that is what had stressed me to the point of tears. And I think that that's when I was like, oh, man, something's something's off. Something's not right. Um but I would say that I, so I was always sort of like definitely a socially anxious person. Um, that's not really part and parcel with what we're talking about, but in my head, they're, they're kind of related. There's this idea um, that fuels a lot of my anxiety of things are definitely going to be bad and they're definitely going to go a lot worse than they ever will. And that's, I think that that feeds into the social thing, right? For me, it's mm -hmm. always about like, what if I say the dumbest possible thing at the worst possible moment and it they scream at me and yell at me and call me an idiot so sure so th which I, is which is why you is that why you always bailed on parties the way you did uh yeah i kind of felt like if i could string together a solid 45 minutes then i i should just quit while i'm ahead Ju pretty justin much. was justin was known classically for disappearing yeah. in the middle of a party we just you'd turn around and it's like wait a second for justin go justin go just dipped um but i did not actually seek medical or sort of like any sort of intervention until uh the stress just got and and i guess stress because i had almost kind of forgotten that that this happened but um this is about i mean almost 10 years ago at this point where uh i was really worried about i started worrying about mortality a lot and uh it was just before we were going to go to Honduras mm -hmm. for a month. And uh, I was really, it was like a completely different experience and that I've never sort of gone through anything like that at that point in my life and hugely stressed about it. And it triggered this sort of like mortality panic. And uh, that was really, that was something that I really struggled with in hindsight, now looking back on that specific factor of my anxiety, I kind of see that as like a very normal human thing to go through. I think it's something that everybody kind of has to go through. Not on the level that I went through it, for sure. Yeah, I think I think there were definitely... Because I don't know if you remember in particular when I first realized, you, you may probably didn't know, when I first realized that you really, there really was a problem. When? What you'd used to do. What? You used to wake, you used to wake me up at night to make sure I was alive. Yeah. There was a while where you would wake me up periodically because you were checking to make sure I was breathing. Yeah. And that, and I remember. That's probably not typical no, behavior. <laughs> no. Well, and that, that was when I, it first occurred to me, uh, I think, I think some there. This has gone beyond. Oh, Justin's just kind of anxious today. To Justin has anxiety. There, there's something going on. So I um, I uh, sort of got it under control for a little bit, uh, and then I we found out we were pregnant, and so 
I actually didn't think about this pattern until we we decided we were going to record it, but Claire Weeks, who's an Australian therapist, talks about, and she sort of wrote about anxiety before we even had the term anxiety. She calls it, like, sensitization, I, th I think. You become very sensitive to things. And she says that um, the... Uh, the, 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 there's a she has this idea of a sensitizing event. Something happens in your life that makes you that that can trigger a, a sort of you know outbreak, I guess, of of anxiety. Sure. And I think that like definitely like that trip to Honduras at that point in my life, and and the thing with the if you have ever been uh, uh, pregnant or uh, the partner of someone who is pregnant or close to a pregnancy at all. You will know that, like, especially the first 12 weeks of it are this, it was this constant panic for me. It was a constant, every time you would yell for me, I was sure that something had gone terribly wrong. And that was like, I think if you put yourself through that level of stress and that level of anxiety over and over and over again, um, if for me at least, it, it, it really triggered the anxiety, something mm -hmm. really bad. Uh, and it was, it was brutal. Like we, uh, for me at that point, it didn't necessarily manifest as much from the, it was definitely some of the mortality panic. I had a lot of fear of, um, like, like global catastrophe, I think, but be it like war or climate change or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, that, that is something that like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I still suffer with, still don't like, like dwelling on too much. There is honestly, I'm as I'm talking about it, I'm getting sort of like a little bit anxious talking about stuff because there's I, I've been in a good place as of late. And it definitely like makes me worry. Like, I don't know. It makes me nervous to talk about stuff because like I weirdly fear that I'll like go like get anxious again. I don't know. No, that but that makes sense because like you pointed out earlier when I was talking about the hopelessness that you feel with depression there when you really accept that that's what's happening there there is a moment where you feel like it's it's completely out of your control like mm -hmm. it's something that happened to you and you have no that with that hopelessness comes a feeling that you you have no control over it there's nothing you're going to be able to do that's not true there are things you can do obviously uh -huh. But there, there is that feeling like, oh my gosh, what if this comes back? And there's nothing I can do about that. Um, for me, I, I decided to get help when um, it started to be sort of like an everyday, not just an everyday thing, an every moment thing. I really, I had trouble formulating thoughts that were outside of these fears. Um, and it was impacting me sort of every single day and i the thing that was hardest about the thing that's hardest about it now looking back is i know that the reason you didn't talk to me about some of the stuff that you're going through is that these two periods kind of overlapped and mm -hmm. I, I think that there was definitely a part of you that felt like you couldn't talk to me about stuff because of what I was going through. I think there's truth to that. I think I, 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 I don't want to sit here and I don't want to beat you up for that. Cause I, one, that wasn't your fault. And two, I still don't know that I would have talked to you about it. 
I still don't, even if you had been 100% fine and at your best, I still don't know if I would have talked to you about it. But, but yes, I was, I was a little gun shy to bring up touchy things with you because I knew, but I saw that what that did to you. I would make an offhand comment about a news story and that could really send you down a spiral. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, it was bad. I, uh, I, uh, uh, eventually after a few months of dealing with this, um, and this would have been probably around March or so of 2014, a few months before Coop was born, uh, March of 2014. And I, uh, I just got to a point where I had to get help and I started going to therapy and I started going once a week and it was really helpful for me that worked really well for me um and i did other things that helped too um i tried to exercise a little bit more that's tough because i just don't like doing it um and it's hard to physically just do that it sucks to exercise so that's not like a great cure i think i think it's helpful for some people but and it was helpful for me it's just like hey you feel bad do you want to feel worse (laughs) and then feel better later but don't give yourself more credit you did something that a lot of people are afraid to do, which is run. No, (laughs) you tried things. Half of couch. No, you tried things. You weren't afraid to try things. Um, more so than I am in that regard. I mean, you started doing yoga. Yeah. uh, Meditation was extremely helpful for me at that point. Um, and I am by no means an anxiety expert. I certainly am not, a mental health expert. Um, I can say the things that help me are one. I am always somebody who, and and this is kind of part of the family I grew up in, but like always kind of thought like if I didn't feel happy, something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I was feeling anxious about having a kid or anxious about the state of the world, both of which are like, fair things to i think be concerned about if nothing else i would yeah i would say right um but the fact that i was concerned about them was a source of more anxiety for me why don't i feel happy why don't i feel good and and that is a that was a self-perpetuating cycle for me it was the more anxious i got the more anxious i felt about being anxious Mm -hmm. and the more uh and it's almost like it it became and it's funny you know, we talk about, you talk, you mentioned obsession and obsessiveness and it, fe- this, it is not like obsessive compulsive disorder, but it it is, I think the, the way your brain is unable to let go of these problematic thought patterns can feel like obsession. It can mm-hmm. feel like, even if you're in a good moment, it's like, whoop, like it can be pulled back from you right away it's almost like having a song stuck in your head wow every, that's a great way of every it, yeah. time my brain would would rest for a second when i wouldn't be actively involved in something the shower is the example i always use but anything like that i would get right back into anger and rage and sadness over charlie's birth again I mean, mm-hmm. right back there. It was like it was like it was in the back of my head playing constantly. And when everything else got the volume turned down, I could hear it again. Um, I, I think for me, it got better uh, when I did a few things. One, really ma- having the realization that 
it is okay to feel afraid sometimes and like accepting that versus trying to think your way out of being afraid, which is what I was doing and, and burning myself out in a big way. Like, I think that that was hugely important to me. I think the, like the meditation and the therapy were both really good for me. Um, honestly, being able to find things that let me turn my brain off for a little while. I was worried at first were like escapism or like escaping from the problems. But for me, listening to like, this is a time period at which I binged like all of the worst idea of all time. And I binged a bunch of like Kermode and Mayo film review show from BBC. And I would binge these shows and like, it would keep my brain in a certain place. And if I, I found if I strung enough of those together, then I had the, mental wherewithal to it was sort of like um coming in from the cold for a little while and mm -hmm. like you're all warmed up and you're like okay i can handle the cold for a little bit now i'm warmed up i got my hot cocoa i'm ready to go back out there <laughs> and and that's what it felt like for me and then eventually i found that i could string more of those days together and even now talking to you i'm trying very hard not to use words like and so it's better and so it's all fixed because it's it, for me I know that living with anxiety is something I will live with my entire life, but also the fear of the fear of falling back there. I can't have that fear. I can't have that fear of going back to the place where I was afraid all the time. You know what I mean? Like I can't be afraid of it. So I'm not trying to build myself up on a high horse. Well, and I think, I think part of the reason that you can stave off the fear is that you have tools now. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have found things that help, mm -hmm. you know, that there are things you can do. And even, even if maybe those exact things don't work the same way every time, you know, that something helps. Mm -hmm. I mean, that belief that there are things you can do to help is key. And even that, honestly, I mean, I, I also started like, uh, taking medication, not like a, it was more of a take as needed kind of thing. Uh, not an... <sighs> Well, Help. you had, and you didn't really touch on this, but you know, my, a lot of my symptoms were very much, uh, my mood yeah, and there were things that you couldn't see. Mm -hmm. Uh, you had physical symptoms of anxiety, yeah. anxiety and depression have physical symptoms that we don't talk about a lot. We tend to assume it's something else, but that it is a, it's your mind and your body are obviously connected. One kind of in case is the other. And you, you had physical symptoms of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. So I, I found that being, knowing that I had some medication that helped that I could take as needed was also really helpful for me because it gave me something that I hadn't had for a long time. And that was a sense of control. Um, this is a time period also where I was drinking too much. I was drinking, having two or three drinks a night. Um, and that that's, I mean, that's not like, uh, extremely detrimental to your health, but it didn't make me feel great. And it's not great for your, like your long-term health. Um, no, it's, it's obviously not. I the thought best I've been talking a lot. Can you ask me another question to get me back on track? Cause I feel like I'm just like <laughs> rambling at this point. Uh, well you said that, and and I would agree. I don't think it's good to say everything's fine, mm -hmm. but you are doing a lot better now. Yes. Currently. Um, currently. Yes. You're currently doing a lot better. And do you think that there are ways that like you can advise to maintain that? Um, that? How do you keep it in check? 
or at least be aware when it's not not in check um being able to take knowing when seeing the signs of a a a period of anxiety coming and know and seeing those signs and taking the steps that i need to take care of it then um i mentioned that i'm doing better and even with i'm doing better uh i'm still like going to therapy somewhat and it's for it's like in a different it's not in the same context and it's not in the same lens but for me it's really helpful to like have a checkup mentally every mm-hmm. once in a while and just sure. see how things are going because again this is the thing it's it's your own brain is the thing that is sick your brain the thing that like helps you figure out how you're feeling is the thing that is not working properly and that is mm-hmm. like that's that's tough like that's that's a lot of your body has to work together um i try to meditate i don't really have the time to as much um i found that having like a lot of things that i'm working on has been helpful to me um this is going to be whack but i i've realized that if i'm having periods where i'm playing like what are probably an unhealthy amount of video games like i find that my anxiety gets really bad because i start to get that sense that like oh i'm wasting my life minutes and that's you know i'm gonna die someday and i should really you know that kind of thing so i try to be careful about stuff like that um breathing and 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 uh meditation a lot of mindfulness that was really helpful um but i don't know it's different for everybody i mean i i i i it it sucks being there and like i know i know it sucks i've talked to people who are there and it's like i can see it's so strange to know what they're feeling, but not really be able to get it anymore. And that's the problem, I think, with talking to people that aren't going through exactly what you're going through and aren't sort of like licensed therapists or anything is like they can sort of get it. But you're not talking about I'm so mad because this person did this thing to me. No. And what can I do to fix it? Right. Exactly. It's, it's I'm so mad because I'm so mad. And what do you think? yeah (laughs) like you know like or sad or scared or whatever um but uh, i don't hold either of us up i am probably more inclined to the thing that i am to an unhealthy degree vigilant about anxiety because i never want to be in the position that i was at when you felt like you couldn't rely on me and that makes me feel very vigilant about anxiety and that makes me take it very seriously because i don't want to be in a position where i can't be what you need me to be um and and them too i mean the 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 kids like that is no good to have a dad who isn't present and when you're anxious in the way that i'm talking about uh, you're not you're not present you're in your head um, yeah, and I I don't I don't want to be there for for you all. Well, I I appreciate that. Like I said, I don't I, I I you are not at fault for any of any of my um unwillingness to seek help because I think if of the two of us, you definitely like you did it right. <laughs> of our two stories, uh, I got a little silly. Of, I mean, of our I, two stories, you did you did it right. Maybe, I'm I'm the cautionary tale. Closer to right. I didn't because I, I didn't I didn't and I should have I should have sought help we, and I didn't and I. It had to be a little bit irritating though to have somebody who was like that sort of focused on themselves. 
like a little bit, especially when we had no, a there... kid and we were both kind of pushed the limit. I can't imagine that they were there when I was like, hey, I need to go sit in a dark room for five minutes and breathe. And th- that had to be a little bit frustrating. No, there were moments. Of course there were. Of course, if there were days where I was overwhelmed and and it was, you know, Charlie wouldn't sleep or whatever. Of course, there were days where I just thought, oh, I can't. I, please, I need you right now. Um, But I also I needed you in the big sense. Mm. I needed you to be OK. And I, whatever you needed to do, whatever I could support you in doing to get you to a place where you were doing well and you were feeling OK, that was the big picture. And that's what I stayed focused on. And I think. That's what I I would say if there's anybody out there listening who's like me in that your inclination is never to take care of yourself. That's I don't know if it's how I was raised. I don't know if it's how society programmed me. I don't know if it's me, but I I never think to put myself not only first, but like on the list of care. If that is how you are, um, you know. Please, please remember that you can't, it's cliche, you can't take care of other people if you're not okay. And that is the thing that really motivated me to be open with how I was feeling and to think about how I was feeling and to really be in touch with it when I was pregnant with Cooper and when Cooper was born is because I so wasn't when Charlie was born. And I, she was old enough for me to look at her and think, I don't want to go away after I give birth this time, which is what I feel like. I feel like I, I went away in my head. I was gone for a while and you can't do that to your children or you should try not to if you can. And I didn't want to be gone and I didn't want to be unreachable to her and to Cooper and to you. And who am I helping if I don't take care of myself so much that I'm physically present but mentally, emotionally gone. Uh, let's let's get practical for a second. Um, I want to deal with something that, that's sort of most critical first, and then we'll we'll go back from there. If you feel uh, like you could be suicidal, if you have thoughts of hurting yourself, there are plenty of resources out there. There are people to reach out to. Um, the best or like most comprehensive thing I found was IASP.info. And, which sounds made up, but it's real. It's the International Association for Suicide Prevention, um, and they've got a uh, uh, the thing help at the top of their website. You can click on that and get a list of crisis centers all over the world. So mm-hmm. please, 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 like if our stories illustrate nothing else, it is that there are, you know. Just because you feel something a certain a certain way at a certain time, it does not mean you'll feel that way forever. Um, and you do not want a permanent sort of solution to a temporary problem. And and I would also say, well, these international and national resources, like the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and there's also a, a texting um, one that I found. Oh, that's great because some people really don't like uh, the, the the phone. I have yeah. I have found myself oh. included, but I I would hope I would make um, an exception in this case. But uh, but even though crisis text line, that's what it was called. Oh yeah, how yeah. do you how do you do that? You go to uh, crisistextline dot org and then you can text um uh home to seven one seven four one seven four one. 
Okay. And you can text with somebody. Not Correct. not a medical professional, but they are like volunteers who've been trained. Perfect. Um, all that being said, the I uh, will talk a lot with um, people that I'm seeing professionally about a plan, a safety plan. Mm-hmm. And, and those are usually a list of people that you're going to call if you're having these thoughts. And the list always ends with these kinds of numbers we're talking about, like national resources, the suicide hotline, 911 your doctor's office, an ER, that kind of thing. But the top of the list are your family and your friends and the people who you would talk to in a moment of crisis. So while all these numbers are great because we can tell everyone them, um, it's helpful for you to sit and think and even write down that list. Who do I call? If I need somebody, it's 2 a.m. Who's my first call? Okay, they're in the shower. Who's my second call? Okay, they ran out to get a bite to eat. They didn't answer. Who's my third call? Write those numbers down. Write those names down. Because sometimes just having that list is enough for people. Um, and then that list should always have on it these numbers that we're talking about. Um, because th- they provide help for everybody. But that list of people, because those are the people, not only should you be calling in times of crisis, you should be talking to. Um, but let's say that, that uh, uh, I'm, I, I am not in that specific uh, scenario, that I have other, um, that I have other uh, 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 issues that I would like to start dealing with um, that I don't exactly know how. Um, uh, obviously, if you want, there are plenty of resources online. Um, there's great, you know, different forums you can, you can go to. You can check out those. I personally... As anxiety sufferer, found a lot of relief from, like I said, the work of Claire Weeks and a lot of her stuff's up on YouTube and you can get books. Um, there's, I, I read a lot of like books about meditation. I read Anxiety as an Ally by a game journalist actually named Dan Reichert. And that was uh, actually really helpful. But there's a lot of great resources out there for that. But let's say, and and obviously for, for non-anxiety, I'm sure that there are just as many great resources. I think it's important to try try different stuff get experimental see what helps and what doesn't you and know? and on top of that seeking professional help so this is what i wanted to ask you about Let, uh, when i you know if you and i hadn't been married i wouldn't have known do i cold call people what do i do how does that process you, start what's it look like you can do that i mean especially when you're talking about like psychologists therapists counselors that kind of that kind of help talk therapy um, you can do that, but I would say the best place to start, this is not a plug for family medicine as much as it sounds like it, would be your primary care doctor. I I usually am the first contact, um, and statistically, we are the first contact for a lot of people, uh, primary care doctors over a psychiatrist or a therapist when they're having these issues. And the reason we are a good first contact is one, if you have an established relationship with a physician, they know you. And so you may feel a little more comfortable saying this stuff, talking to them. Two, they have the resources. They can refer you. And, and sometimes your insurance needs that referral. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's important to, to have that referral so it gets covered because that's important too. Um, whether they think you might need medication help, they can refer you to a psychiatrist. Heck, a lot of it, depending on the area you're in, your par- primary care doctor might be able to help you manage in the beginning on their own or solo i manage lots of these issues without the help of um, subspecialists because in some areas there just simply aren't enough 
licensed psychologists or counselors or psychiatrists to do it. And primary care doctors function in that way a lot. So start with your doctor. They can either help you or refer you to the therapist, the psychiatrist, whoever you may need. They're a great resource to to start with. That's I, I'd say that that is the easiest way to figure out what's the next step. Um, anything else you want to say about this, Sid, before we sort of... Um, not, we've talked a lot about, about yourself and how to seek help. Um, make sure you're looking out for the people around you too. make sure you're, you know, I, I have gotten really tuned in over time to Justin and I, I think I have a good feel for when you're doing better and when maybe I need to urge you to (laughs) have you called your therapist lately. (laughs) When was the last time you've seen him? I, I, I think I have a good feel for that. And you probably have people in your life that you know well enough to know when they're doing well and when they're not doing so well. And if we all kind of have that stance that we're all watching each other and when somebody's a little more withdrawn, when somebody is not acting like themselves, when they seem a little more labile, when they're not engaging with things they used to enjoy. Labile? Uh, like, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> like back and forth, like all over the place. Okay. Like their mood swings, Got that it. kind of thing. Um. When somebody, you know, starts drinking a lot more than you've known them to drink or taking big risks with their life that that is out of the norm for them. You know, when you see these things, stop somebody and ask, because sometimes that's sometimes someone is just waiting for someone to notice. You know, Mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of times where I think if somebody had looked at me at work and said, oh, my gosh, you seem really angry what is up? Are you okay? Because I'm not an angry person. What is wrong? What are you okay? I, there were lots of times where it was it was exploding from me to talk about it, but nobody asked, and so I didn't because I, I didn't want to burden. I don't know because I didn't. So ask, notice, pay attention, and and um, you know, if nothing else, talk to people about this stuff. That's a, that can be a great entry point, like. The the one good thing about what I went through is like I feel like I can talk to other people who are going through the same thing and mm-hmm. for them kind of say like, Yeah, like it's it's a thing. It can happen. It's not just your brain. And like seeing and I think seeing that that uh, other people who've gone through that thing, I think can help short circuit your brain's sort of like stranglehold it has on the anxiety or the depression or whatever it is. To see like, oh, wait a minute, there is another side to this. It is mm-hmm. not just the what I'm feeling in this exact moment. There's other there's other things that you that one can feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and- yeah, you'd be amazed how much help it can be just to look at somebody and say, hey, I've been there before. Is that where you are? Mm-hmm. And and how how much help that might be. Um. So anyway, uh, that's that's our show. I, I know it was a lot more. It was it was not nearly as structured as a classic Sawbones episode. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> and uh probably not as many laughs unless you're a real sicko. <laughs> uh, but uh and and maybe it was a little self-indulgent. I have no idea what what you you dear people at home think, I, but I my hope is that it was the it, I honest, honestly if these shows do nothing else, if there is and I mean this sincerely, one person who's like, "Oh, that me." Oh yeah. Okay. That's mm-hmm. me. That's my thing. That's what's happening to me. I my brain is sick and I need to to fix it. That that's that's worth it for me. I'll do all the 
self-indulgent episodes it takes yeah that that's that's my only hope because i if this is self-indulgent i will say i i I don't enjoy talking about this stuff i enjoy helping people and if this has helped anybody then good i'm glad we did it so that that is my hope and uh, and also i i don't know quite how to say this but if you do want to talk about like your struggles with 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 mental illness and stuff i think we are obviously saying 100 percent, you should do that i will also say that like sid and i are probably not the best people to reach out to about your personal struggles if that is something that you are compelled to do honestly twitter's just a really bad platform for it and and in especially well with like, I, and, we, and sydney can't obviously i, I can't le- and legally. we don't have the we we will not be able to do that properly through that's the thing emails or or tweets or yeah, whatever i mean we can't we can't it won't be the kind of help you need ta- yeah re- reach you out know. to the people you you know reach out and reach outside of them to people who are you know trained to to help with this sort of thing because i think that that is where you're going to have the 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 real the real growth and the the real help is to right. build that build that network. Yeah. Um, and I say that mainly as an apology. Like if you if you tweeted us about sort of what it, you want to share your story with us, if we like don't respond or anything, I don't want you to think take that personally or think mm-hmm. that we are callous or or uncaring. But I wanted to. No, to I always think that. there's power in sharing your stories, yeah. just because then everybody everyone hears them and realizes they're not alone yeah. and that's and you're not you know thing. you're not it's um, like the it's like the it's the story from west wing it's like the guy in the hole yeah when his friend uh walks by and and after the doctor threw him the prescription and the the priest uh shouted down a prayer his friend jumped in the hole and said well, that's dumb. We're both down here now. And the friend said, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. So re- reach out to people and try to be there for, for the people you care about. And let's just all get through this thing together as a, a an extended podcasting family. Um, and uh, But that is going to do it for us. So until next week, when you will be here and we will be here. My name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. All right. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. If you want to make ends meet in a hip town, the kind with great coffee, lots of dog parks, you're gonna need a side hustle. In Brooklyn, maybe you drive rideshare. In Fairhaven, it's more like... Well, it's more like slaying psychic beasts with your custom-balanced throwing knives. Hey, are you from Hunter? Uh, I guess so. Hold on, I have to ask you some stuff. Are you hurt? No. Do you feel yourself developing strange powers? I mean, I saw a ghost once. Okay, I'm going to put down no. Okay. So, you're having some sort of monster issue. Oh, um, it's like a pod, I guess? Um, here it is. Is, is that what you call it? Like, like a pod? Yeah, pod works. Oh, it's opening! 
Morgan leaps back and positions the metal spear she's been carrying on her back. She points it towards the bug, which swipes the spear away just as an electrical bolt fires from the tip. It hits the gate to a petting zoo and a bunch of baby goats come streaming out. Can we just take a moment to appreciate how cute this is? It's great. I hope someone's filming it. Oh my god, I just love baby goats. <laughs> Bubble, the sci-fi comedy from MaximumFun.org. Just open your podcast app and search for Bubble. Bubble.